Have you ever been heartbroken? Have you ever had your heart hurt badly? Have you ever felt the sting that was so painful that it seemed to linger around? Well, I have. You see, back in high school during my senior year in ancient time, you know, the early 2000s, on Friday nights, you will find me on the stadium football field playing the game I love, football. Now, the junior year, this was a special year. We had been primed for the big takeaway, the big goal, the big cake, the state championship. We had started conditioning and practicing early in the summer in the heat of the day. Even after school had started, we would stay back past the end of the school day, even practicing until it was dark. So dark, in fact, sometimes I could barely see my hands in front of my face. You know, that hard work and sacrifice, it didn't really phase me much, you know, because I was experiencing some, some success. I was named to the varsity starting squad as an offensive lineman. And we were exhibiting some team success also. And might I add, I think I played quite well, in my opinion. So fast forward. Throughout the season, we just went through crushing the opponents, finishing the season a perfect record. 10 wins, zero losses. We were ecstatic, on our way for that coveted state championship that we all seemed destined for. Well, not only the team success, I was experiencing personal success also. Due to all the team accolades and the wins, my work seemed to show out also. I was named uh, to the all-district football team as an offensive lineman. And with that, I learned that I would be able to get a trophy at the end of the year at the sports awards banquet. Oh, I was excited. Now, I had received rewards and certificates before, but not a trophy. A trophy was a big deal. So fast forward to the first game of the playoffs. Things quickly fell apart. I mean, quickly. Fell apart faster than the blocks while trying to play Jenga with my one-year-old daughter, Hannah. That 10-0 record meant nothing, absolutely nothing. The final score was an embarrassment. Needless to say, I was devastated. All of that hard work, all of that sacrifice, and to end abruptly. Well, that pain didn't seem to linger too long because I had something to look forward to. After all, I had achieved some personal success. I had a trophy to look forward to. Now. We get to the awards banquet and I can see all of the trophies lined up along the stage. And I'm just sitting there antsy in my, my, in my seat, just trying to anticipate which one is mine. As they start to the, the trophy presentation, the, award, the athletic director came over and said, hey man, can I talk to you for a second? Hey, sure. Hey, you had a great season and all, but that was a problem with the order. I wasn't able to get your trophy in. What? After all that hard work, after all this dedication, and needless to say, the way the season ended, now you're telling me I don't have a trophy? I was heartbroken. Now, all of us have experienced some type of disappointment, some type of heartache, something that has left us in pain. You were in good company because Jesus felt pain also. He had heartache. His heart hurt for others. Now, as we continue in our series, Disciples Making Disciples, the question for us this morning is, 
How do I have a heart for people? Let's check it out. Matthew chapter 9, verses 35 through 38. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let me give you a recap of what's been going on to give us some context. You see, Jesus has given his sermon on the mount and the crowd were astonished. They were blown away, blown away and mesmerized to the point that as Jesus came down the mountain, they continued to follow him. As Jesus came down the mountain, he immediately began to perform miracles. A leper came and kneeled before him seeking to be healed, to be cleansed from his leprosy. And Jesus honored that request by stretching out his hand and healing the man from his leprosy. As he journeyed on to Capernaum, he was met by a centurion who came pleading to Jesus on behalf of his servant who was laying paralyzed and suffering. Jesus offered to go to the centurion's house, but the centurion said, no, I'm not worthy of that. Marvel by the centurion's faith that even if he just said the word, his servant will be healed. Jesus did that right in that very place. Jesus continued to heal to the point where he even came across Peter's mother-in-law who lied sick with a fever. As Jesus continued on with his disciples, he continued to heal diseases and many afflictions among the people. He cast out demons from two men, forgave the sins of a paralytic. He even healed the woman who had the issue of the blood for 12 years because of her faith. He restored a girl back to life from her dead. Healed two blind men by touching their eyes. Healed a demon-possessed man who was mute. Jesus performed many miracles and healed many afflictions. But still, he faced many distractions, so much opposition for so many directions. In fact, some of the scribes discounted who he was. The Pharisees themselves said that, oh, he performs these miracles and he casting out these demons by the prince of the demons. To bring us to our text, after all that, Jesus continued with the task at hand. Despite all the opposition and distractions, he stayed on track to complete the task he was purposed for, the work that needed to be done. In verse 35, it says that Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Jesus set the bar. He set the standard. He modeled where we should go. Jesus went to the everyday people. Jesus went to the everyday people in various places, in the cities, in the suburbs, in the rural areas, no matter the size, many places. We know that this because he went throughout all the cities, went through all out, throughout all the villages. He went to the everyday people. Jesus just didn't go to the everyday people. He went to the religious people also. He taught in their synagogues, went to their temples, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He healed every disease and every affliction, letting us know that he went to the outcasts of societies, those places that many did not go or want to go. He went to the people that were troubled with various afflictions and diseases, those who were possessed by demons. Jesus went to all people. Not one group was excluded. Followers of Christ must follow that example. If we are to follow 
and live up to the mandate that Jesus gives us to go and make disciples of all nations. If we want to be his true disciples, we are called to share Jesus everywhere. Now, we have an evaluation to take, a self-evaluation. Jesus went to all the people in all the towns and villages proclaiming the gospel. Likewise, we should go. Disciples of Jesus are obligated to share who he is and what his kingdom is all about. We are expected to look closely where God has placed us. This means we must have the desire, the willingness to meet the needs of others, to build relationships with the intention to share Jesus with them. This means everyone. Again, this means everyone. Yes, you may be called to go to unfamiliar places, those places with people who may not look like us, act like us, or live where we live. There should be no one off limits. Following Jesus' example causes us to action. Who are the everyday people in our lives, you may be asking? Who are those people that Jesus is calling us to? These are the people we are constantly around. The people we may know are the people we may not, and they may be strangers, but yet they're still around us. You know, your classmates, your teammates on the ball, on the ball team, your friends in your social group, the neighbors who live next door or across the street, our coworkers, even relatives, the everyday people. Jesus proclaimed the gospel in the synagogues, implying we are to go to religious people also. There are many instances where Jesus went to the Pharisees, the religious people of that time. There are religious people in our lives too. Yes, there are. Some of these people may be our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who we may be called to correct and rebuke and love for the building of the body. Or there may be the people who say that they know Jesus, but their lives do not reflect it or their, what they do do not line up with the Bible. Or to the others who may denounce God's sovereignty altogether. You know, the religious people. And let's not forget about those labeled as outcasts in society. Those that we have labeled as outcasts in our minds. The people that are locked away in prisons. The people who are struggling with various diseases, afflictions, addictions. People who live on, our, live on the streets without a place to call home. The people that we have placed far outside our hearts so that we not have to think nor care for them. We must go everywhere. There's not a corner on the earth that we're not called to go. We are to share with people who are struggling, people who are lost, people who are hurt. We're called to talk to people everywhere about the goodness of Jesus. We must share our testimonies and show how Jesus has changed our lives and the love that he has for them also. Share Jesus everywhere. This may be all true and all, but the reality is that this is a hard thing to do. Going and sharing Jesus everywhere, this is very uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable for all of us. We may be asking, well, if I am to follow Jesus' example, how can I do that? The answer is, in its simplest form, it's a heart issue. You see, Jesus had a heart for others. For us to be a disciple of Jesus, we must have a heart for others also. Jesus went throughout the cities and villages because he cared for others. We know this because the scripture says when he saw the crowds and while looking upon them, he had compassion for them. Jesus was heartbroken for them. He had compassion for them because he saw 
how they really were, harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Compassion is needed from everyone to share Jesus everywhere. Remember, the crowds were following him down the mountain, just so mesmerized and just taken away by what he, all he was doing, all the miracles, all the things they had seen, never before. Now, I can only imagine this had to be a huge crowd. Just think, if we were follow, had a huge crowd following us, just mesmerized and just giving us all the accolades for our accomplishments, I can only imagine our heads would swell up like a big old balloon. There's no doubt about it. But this is not the case here. Jesus experienced the opposite. He was not feeling accomplished, impressed, pumped up, or full of pride because of the crowd's acknowledgement of him. Jesus saw the crowds and had, a comp had compassion for them. He had a deep care for them. Jesus saw the crowd and had a deep concern. They were like sheep with no shepherd. He saw the people as they were confused, lost, and headed towards destruction. Our heart should be broken for all people also. If we are to be disciples who make other disciples, we are called to show compassion to all. Now, to provide more understanding of their hurt and help us understand this a little bit and feel what Jesus might have felt for the crowd, let's talk about sheep and shepherds for a bit and how they are connected. Sheep are mentioned in the Bible more than any other animal. The importance of sheep in the Bible stems from two truths. They were important to the nomad and agricultural life during that time. And also sheep were used throughout the Bible to symbolize God's people. Shepherds are keepers of sheep. Sheep shepherds were well known all throughout the Bible, even from the very beginning. You had Adam's son, Abel, who was a shepherd. Abraham, Jacob, Moses, and David were all well-known shepherds in the Bible. Shepherds led their sheep to pasture and to water and protected them from wild animals. They guarded them at night and often counted them to make sure none were lost and cared for them when they were weak. So it is obvious that the sheep depended on their shepherd for their everything. Sheep under the care and protection of a loving shepherd is in good hands. This is because if it came down to it, the shepherd would lay down their life for their sheep. Sheep need their shepherd. But this is not the case for the crowd that Jesus is looking over. The crowd that he had compassion for. The people that his heart broke for. This is because their status was the opposite. They were sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed and helpless. They were troubled and confused. The result, of the sh the result for sheep without a shepherd is not good. In fact, it's downright detrimental. For example, it is common for sheep to get turned over on their backs. Once turned over on their backs, it's extremely difficult for them to turn back over. Near impossible. When this happens, the sheep are called casts or cast down sheep. They kick their legs in the air just trying to get back on their feet, but nothing seems to work. They are left in their most vulnerable state they can be in. Being left in this condition, helpless and vulnerable to their enemies, they would certainly die after a few days or hours. This is the state of the people here Jesus was referring to. People consumed in sin and in need of a savior. What a picture of sinners apart from the good shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. The people may have seemed calm and comfortable, but Jesus knew that true condition and it was not good. 
not good at all. In a sense, these people were cast like sheep. Sheep with their legs left up, headed towards destruction by the enemy in a vulnerable position. Due to that sin and without any hope, Jesus knows that the crowd is left in its present state. It will certainly die, an eternal death. Do we have a heart for people? Do we have a heart for others? Do we see people the way Jesus sees people? Do we take the time to look carefully into people's face? If so, we will see a lot of distress, troubled people. And if we're honest, we probably would say, no, we don't. This is by, because by nature, we like to shield our hearts. We don't want to be exposed to the pain, hurt, and loss. Now, I tell you this is true because I can personally tell you I personally struggled with this. You see, previously I sent, spent over a decade managing a drugstore. And many of those days, I was the first one to get to the store to unlock early in the morning. And it was not uncommon for me to see someone lying on the side of the building sleeping or someone rummaging through the trash for food. Shameless to say, most of the time I just walked by and I ignored it. Ignored the people and ignored the problem. Because at that time, all I cared about was myself. All I cared about was my game, not them, not others. Money, success, power, climbing that corporate ladder were my goals, not the people. It wasn't until I was challenged by a friend to have compassion, to make a difference. So I would say my last two years in that position, things started to change. Compassion became more of a focal point and not the security of my family or being the ultimate provider. But having a heart for others became the focus. And needless to say, I even gained a great friendship in the elderly gentleman in the process. Now, you may be saying, well, I'm too busy to care about other people's problems. And you know what? I have problems myself. You know, you don't know all the problems that I'm facing. In fact, you don't know about the constant fear of losing my job because of the boss who's constantly on my back. You don't know about the fear that I have of failing this class because of the repeated failures on tests and a teacher who doesn't want to help. You don't know about the struggles I'm facing while trying to manage a household or raise up kids in the midst of a turmoil marriage. You know, I have problems. But you know what? There's no problem bigger than the biggest problem there is. You know? There's no doubt about it, we may have problems. But showing compassion for all requires a transformed heart. There's no bigger problem than leaving people left in a hopeless and forsaken condition who are lost in sin without a savior. The heart is key. Solomon describes the heart in this importance in Proverbs chapter four, verses 23. He says, above all else, guard your heart for it is the wellspring of life. Out of the heart flows our desires, our hopes, our dreams. Our behavior flows from our hearts. You see, essentially, what's in our heart would dictate how we act. The things that make our heart joyful, or in this case, the things that should break our hearts, should drive us into action. 
Now, this is an urgent situation. Jesus gives us an image of the urgency when he tells his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. He's telling the disciples that, you know, there is a great need for the people who need to be shown compassion and taught the gospel. But there's a problem. There's not enough workers to take care of this massive harvest. Think of, it, of this from an agricultural standpoint. You see, when the harvest is ready or when the crop is ready to be taken in, there's only a certain time frame to gather it. If the harvest is not gathered in time, the harvest will be ruined or spoiled. In this case, Jesus is referring to the harvest of souls that will be destroyed if workers do not come alongside and tell them something different. If you are like me and you see an issue, you like to jump right in and fix it. Now, this is not the case in Scripture. There is no doubt there is a problem here. We have a crowd of people helpless and harassed like sheep without a shepherd, and we have a labor shortage. We are short on workers to help with this harvest of people. There's a problem. Instead of going to the problem immediately like me or you, Jesus told his disciples to go pray. He told them to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers to his harvest. Now, this should not be a strange response coming from Jesus. Jesus prayed often and modeled prayer for his disciples. Jesus knows his disciples. He spent a lot of time with his disciples. He knows their heart. Jesus was very specific in his directions to his disciples. So specific to the point where he told them how to pray, who to pray to, what to pray, and why to pray. He told them how to pray and telling them to pray earnestly. He told them who to pray to by telling them to pray to the Lord of the harvest. He told them what to pray by telling them to ask the Lord to send out laborers. And he told them why to pray to the Lord by acknowledging that ultimately it is his harvest. Following the directions of Jesus, we should also pray to the Lord. We are called to pray to the Lord always. The question may be, does this apply to me? Well, if you are a disciple who makes other disciples, then the answer is a big fat yes. Absolutely, this applies to you. Pray to the Lord always. The fact of the matter is that we can't go and love others in our own might, based on our own will. It's only by God's grace and power of his spirit that allows us to care for people the way that we should. We are called to pray and ask for a changed heart. Pray to the Lord of the harvest for a heart for his harvest. Now let's begin praying for and become a people whose heart break for the loss and suffering. And we should be praying seriously and intentional every time. Not praying empty words and extravagant in speech and some effort to think that the more religious it sounds, the better chance it will be heard. No. Instead, be sincere in your prayers and be in prayer always. We know who to pray to. Pray to the Lord. We know why to pray to the Lord. Because he is all-powerful and control of everything. When we pray, it is an expression of surrender to God and reliance on his infinite wisdom and sovereignty. What do I do if I do not know what to pray for? A lot of times this may be true. Simply, 
Ask the Lord to break your heart for what breaks his heart. Fill our hearts with compassion. Fill it with love. Understand, you have to have a heart for it in order to go do it. Now, that hurt that I experienced back in high school with that devastating end to that football season. In case you were wondering, did I get that trophy that I was promised by that athletic director? The answer is nope. Never got it. But you know what? That doesn't matter. Because in that situation, my heart broke for myself. Jesus calls us all to something so much bigger. Jesus calls us to have a heart for others. Will you answer that call? The call to share Jesus everywhere and show compassion to all wherever we go? This is no small feat. That is why Jesus demands us to pray always. We should pray for an open heart and for the hearts of others to be open also so that we can go out and serve and love the harvest the way God has called us to. Will you answer that call? Let us pray. Lord, we just thank you and acknowledge you in your sovereignty. And we just thank you for being the Lord of the harvest, God. We just come now asking for a heart of compassion, a heart so we can go and share your son Jesus wherever you may call us. Break our hearts, Lord, for what breaks yours. Give us all that we need. Equip us, Lord God, in everything so that we can go and be the disciples you have called us to. We just thank you and give you all the honor. And by your grace, we acknowledge it all. In your son's Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.